All right, good morning, guys. I'm glad to see y'all again. I am back at Crump Acres again for the second edition of the Social Distancing Gathering Place West. That was a dad joke for you. You're welcome. No charge for that. Um, I hope you guys had a great week this week. We got a little bit different setup today. Jake's getting fancy, and I just want to say a huge thank you to he and Maddie for opening up their home, allowing me to come and do this. They've Jake's got all the cool toys to uh, to make this happen and to happen well. So big thanks to those guys. So. Um, I just wanted to check in with you guys. I, I want to point out in the Faith Life app, if you pull that up, uh, we tried again this week to get the outline on there, but I've also added some questions. And so my, my intent for those is that you guys can do those as part of your life groups. I hope that you guys have had a chance to do some online digital meetups. I know that some uh, of our life groups have done a couple on Zoom. Some have done it on Facebook. So whatever works for you guys, we really want to encourage you to, um, to reach out and stay connected in that way. So um, the outline's there. It's got some questions. Uh, intermixed up amongst them and so uh, that's the goal for those is for you guys to be able to uh, to struggle I mean not to struggle I was reading and I shouldn't have been my hope is that you guys can uh, can read those questions together and discuss them okay um, I want to let you guys know also as we're kind of figuring this out I've been going through a lot of online training for work um, about the um, way people are being affected specifically the construction industry for me but but from an employee exp- um, perspective, the impact that uh, this pandemic is having on all of us. And so um, I'm fortunate that I'm able to still work from home, but I know that some of you guys, that is not the case. And so I want you to know that um, that you're not forgotten, that I'm praying for you, uh, that your life groups are praying for you. Um, and I just want to encourage everyone during this time to just be very um, open and vulnerable about where you are. And I know that it's not normal for us to talk about our personal finances with, for, with one another, but um, you know, we see in the early church that that happened a lot because if people don't know you're struggling, they can't help you. And if they don't know that there might be a struggle coming, um, they won't know that they need to be asking God about how to help you with that. And so part of us being the church is going to be us being vulnerable with one another about things that we normally aren't, um, but also that that we pray and that we're obedient to what God has called us to do in terms of supporting one another and taking care of one another. So uh, it's going to require for us to get some pride out of the way, but I think it's a really important part of what it means to be the church. So I just wanted to uh, to throw that out there for you guys. I'm going to scoot over a little bit so that screen's not quite in my face. I apologize for that if that was uh, bothering you. Um, and I did want to tell you guys that, um, as I mentioned last week, the elders were praying about uh, helping the, our community in Romania, and God definitely did confirm that we needed to do that, and so we are supporting them financially. Uh, and then what that means for, for you and us as a body, that that uh, the gifts that we're giving right now, a lot of that is going to support that community. So continue to pray about how God would have you support the church in your in your obedience and your giving. Uh, and also just want to let you guys know that, that we're praying, that the elders are pursuing the Lord and asking how it is that we are called to help as a church body um, as well as how we're to do that individually. So continue to pray about your finances so that we can help those that are around us that are in need. Okay. Um, and if I wasn't clear about it last week, I just want to remind you guys that um, you can give through the Faith Life app, just like we do on a normal Sunday morning. Uh, if that's not a way that you are familiar with or you're not comfortable with doing that, I totally understand. Um, I would encourage you to check out, uh, if you do online banking, you can do bill pay through that as well. Um, so there's some great options for us so we don't have to um, worry about mailing checks and all that kind of stuff. The banks can do that for you. So just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. Um, last thing before we dive in this morning, I want to ask you guys to just continue to pray for our community on McKithen Drive. I know that um, 
that we're not able to be out there. We're following the instructions of the CDC and our governor and staying at home as much as we possibly can. Um, it's a big disappointment for us to not be able to go out there and deliver meals and to encourage those guys. And so one of the things that we can do, even though we're not there, is to continue to pray for them. So add that to your daily list. Just lift them up to the Lord and ask God for provision for them, but also to take care uh, of all those kids that are that are living there and the adults too. Okay, so let's this morning before we get started, let's pray together. Um, and if you need to pause the video and just take a moment to to just bear your heart on some things or to just clear your mind, please feel free to do that. Um, we're not in a big hurry. You get to literally do this at your own pace. And so at any point during the the message today, during the video, if you need to just stop for a minute and spend some time with the Lord, I want to encourage you to do that. This is not about just checking something off the list. This is about us spending time with the Lord and learning together about who He is and what His call for our body is. So let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you so much for my church body. Um, I miss them dearly, and I miss getting the opportunity to to hug them and to spend time with them. But God, I know that this is um, the best way that we can love one another right now is to to stay apart so that we don't uh, spread the virus and that we'll slow it down. So God, I pray that as we continue to to live in quarantine, Father, that you would be an encouragement to us, that you would give us a desire to, to spend the extra time that we have in pursuit of you and understanding you, and that you would challenge us in our faith and um, and God, just continue to to help us to feel that we're part of something that's important, that we're part of a body of believers that love you and care for you dearly. God, we ask that this morning as we dive into your word that you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to understand who you are and the message that you have for us as a body of believers through your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. As we, as we dig into this this morning, I want to point out something that, that may be um, obvious to you or it may not. Um, but before we do that, I want to remind you, I have a note here to remind you to put your lenses on. You know, we've talked the last several times about how important it is that we look at the different things in terms of language, culture, and all of that as we approach this book because it's going to help inform us about the um, the perspective and what the author is trying to communicate. I'm not going to go through that every week. I think it would just get boring, honestly. Uh, I don't like hearing the same thing over and over and over again. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look at the link that's further down on our Facebook page from last week, and you can listen to about the first five, ten minutes of that, and uh, and you'll get the understanding of what I'm talking about. Secondly, if you read ahead this week, and I apologize, I was supposed to post and tell you what to read next. Uh, hopefully you just went ahead and read forward anyway, um, but we read the next section. This week we're going to look at a section that's titled The Vanity of Wisdom. And that may seem at odds with what we talked about last week, but it's not, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want you to consider that those headings that are in our Bibles are not in the original text. Those that we're translating um, the Bible for us are taking the text and breaking up into chunks that are manageable. Okay, so that's their title and that's their breaking up with that. And as we look at this passage today, what I want to encourage you to do is to think of this not as a new topic, um, but as a continuation of an idea from the from the teacher. Okay, so with that in mind, let's look at this passage that we have for today um, and and read it together, and we'll kind of start there. Okay, so we're going to start today uh, in chapter in verse chapter one, verse twelve. Uh, we'll read the first verse, and then we'll we'll work down from there. Okay, so it says this: I, the preacher, have been the king over Israel in Jerusalem. I was supposed to click a button, and I forgot to. So there you go. I, the preacher 
have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. This is one of the passages that was pointed to when we make the case for Solomon as the author. If you hadn't had a chance to watch that video that Russ put out, I encourage you to go look at that. It's unclear whether or not Solomon wrote that, uh, or if it was someone else who wrote it on his behalf, or someone you know, altogether different. But for our purpose today, we're going to assume for a moment that, that uh, Solomon did write at least this section. Okay, We can see in this first chapter the enormous amount of concern from the teacher for humanity, for people, right? Because he spent his entire life in the pursuit of wisdom, and he realizes how hevel our lives are, right? We spend our time in pursuit of things that always leave us where we began. We strive to make ourselves better, and we'll never be able to get there, right? We understand that we can never be perfect, okay? I've seen a lot of people posting this week about how clean they've gotten their houses um, since they can't leave them, right? Um, I've seen a number of people posting that, and that's a big deal, right? Like when there's an epidemic, when there's a pandemic virus going around, um, keeping things clean and tidy is important. And, and I don't know about you, but I really enjoy living in a perfectly clean house, okay? But it's a lot of work to get your house in that condition. But how long does that last? I think the measure of that is how many kids do you have, how messy your husband is, you know, things like that. Okay, but seriously, what this is what causes concern for the teacher, right? This whole idea of I worked really hard on something and it only lasted for a moment and then it was gone. It was hevel. It was temporary. Okay, we work and we strive our entire lives for something that's never really completed. Look with me at the next few verses, and you're going to get to see what I'm talking about. This is picking up in verse 13 and going to 14. And I applied my heart to seek out and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind." Okay, so point number one I want to make today is that our difficulties are the result of the fall. Okay, our difficulties are the result of the fall. I don't know about you, but as I read this passage over the course of this week, my perspective has changed a lot. Okay, when I first began to meditate on it, my mind instinctively focused on what appeared from the surface anyway to be a really negative tone. Like it just didn't sound like anything that was promising, right? And I focused primarily on this idea that God has done this to us. That's kind of how I felt, and I've seen so many posts over the last few weeks. Um, And as we see, anytime there's a major tragedy, people begin to tell the world that God is punishing them, right, for some sin or for for the way that they've lived their lives. And I want us to think about that for a moment, because what we share online or what we say in conversation is going to shape not only our minds, but the minds of the people that are listening to us. Okay. And so I want to challenge that idea for just a moment today. I was thinking about a way to explain this and I thought about it this way. If I was on the way somewhere and I was running late and I chose to speed on purpose and then I get pulled over, whose fault is that? If I get pulled over and I'm given what I like to call a driving award Is the officer that gave me the ticket punishing me? No, it's not his job. He's doing his job of enforcing a well-established and widely agreed upon law. It's a law that people have said, this is a good thing that we should follow. Now, I may try to make excuses about why I need to speed or even blame the officer, 
But the reality is, is that I knew that I was breaking the law, and I also chose to continue to break the law by continuing to speed. That ticket isn't punishment dealt out by some officer. It's the direct result of my poor decision making, right? So let's apply that logic to what we've read today, okay? As we read this passage and as you continue to study it, what God's revealed to me is that we is something that I think that we really need to understand is and this is this is what I think we need to understand is that God did not cause the pandemic to punish people, right? COVID-19 didn't show up because God felt a need to punish the world. We're living in the consequences of sin that broke our world long before you and I were even born. And side note here, it's because of the sin in our lives that we continue to create more and more consequences, but the credit for that shouldn't be placed on God. God's not the one creating those consequences. We are. If I continue to speed and get tickets and I'm complaining to you about it, you're not going to join me in hating on the police. You're going to look me squarely in the eye and say, Will, stop speeding. You're the problem, not the officer, right? When we tell people that God is punishing the world for its sin, we're painting a picture of God that's not true. If we're spreading a false, if we are saying that we're spreading a false gospel, and I'd like to take a minute to just show you why. Let's jump back to the beginning when sin entered the world. Look with me at Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. It says this, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, I think it's worth pausing here for a moment to point out what God created first. First, God created man, and then He created the garden in Eden for man to live in, and to work in, and to enjoy. God created us because He loves us, and He created paradise for us to live in. Look what it continues to say in verse 15 through 17. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. When the teacher talks about searching out wisdom from all that's under the sun, he's pointing back to this moment when everything started. What the teacher and what we long after is for things to be as God intended them when he created us. We were made to live in, a, in perfect union with God and our souls will never be satisfied until we gain that. They'll never be satisfied with anything else. And God is warning Adam that if he chooses to disobey, He's going to gain an understanding that he was not intended to have. And you may hear me say that and go, why would God not want us to understand that? In Genesis 2.17, he's saying that by disobeying God, man will gain an experience of evil that will sever the relationship that man has with God. 
Listen, it's not about the fruit. I know when we read this story, we try to lay blame. We lay it on the man, or we blame, lay it on the woman, or we lay it on the fruit, or we lay it on the snake. But that's not what this story is about. This verse is about God saying to Adam, look, evil exists. It is here. It is part of the world. And not only does it, does it exist, but it's right there. Like, think about that as, as a child of a parent or a parent who has a child. We like, it's good for us to point out evil, things that are harmful and say, look, not only does this thing exist, but it's right there. Don't go mess with that. That's what God's doing here. He's saying to, to Adam, look, I've created all of this for you, but in this place, evil exists. And so I'm protecting you. I'm saving you from, a, from an experience that you don't want to have, okay? God is saying, don't partake in this because it's going to kill this special relationship that you and I have. You see, God created us uniquely in His image with the ability to make decisions. Because God loves us, He gives us the choice to love Him in return. Because if there's no choice, there's no love. When the teacher's saying that it's an unhappy business, he's pointing back to this moment and to the fact that we choose to live separated from God because we choose sin. What we find ourselves striving for can never be reached in our own power, which brings us to point number two for today is that apart from a relationship with Christ, our striving will never end. Remember that all of Scripture points toward God's redemptive plan, right? The teacher is revealing the problem that he's discovered. In verse 15 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it says, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. This isn't just an observation of general things. He's not saying that you can't take a crooked stick and make it straight. This teacher is talking specifically about humans. As children were born into sin, We are what he's referring to when he talks about things being crooked and being lacking. No amount of striving after wisdom can make us straight or put back together what sin has separated. The teacher is talking about the broken state of people. The teacher didn't come to this conclusion lightly. If this section was written by Solomon, consider the value of that wisdom. Look what 1 Kings 4, verse 29-34 through says about King Solomon. It says, "And And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breath of mind like the sand of the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and of all the wisdom of Egypt for he was wiser than all other men wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman and Calcol and Darda and the sons of Mahal and his fame was in all the surrounding nations He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out out of the wall. He spoke also of beets and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And all on people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Listen, this is not the ranting of a lunatic. This is not a man who is speaking beyond his experience. We are reading the conclusions of a man that devoted more time and energy to understanding than you and I will ever be able to do. His conclusion is that we're crooked and that we don't measure up. However, the teacher didn't have the knowledge of what was to come. 
You and I live in a different time in the teacher than the teacher did, and we have the benefit of Christ and of the Holy Spirit. And all is not lost for us because Jesus has done what we cannot do. Jesus restored our broken relationship with God by willingly accepting the consequences that we deserved. You see, Jesus has done for us what the teacher came to discover that he could not do. We can never work our way back to the garden. No amount of learning, of work, or anything else we are capable of doing is going to restore the broken relationship that we have with God. Think about it this way. Once you know something by experience, you cannot unknow it. It's part of you. When man chose to disobey God, we experienced life outside of the relationship with Him, and we can never unknow that. Evil was permitted into our lives, and because we are no longer perfect, we cannot be in the presence of a perfect God. Listen to how the teacher ends this train of thought. Look with me at verses 16 through 18 in Ecclesiastes 1. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Listen, the author spent his whole life striving for what he finally realizes cannot be obtained. The more he learned, the more he realized and became aware of the fact that it brought him no closer to God. And often you realize as you learn, the more you learn, the more you realize, the less you really know. He describes it as striving after the wind because it's something that cannot be captured. We are no more able to fix the problem in our lives than we are to control the wind. So what do we do with this knowledge? He is... He has given us the problem. So what's the solution? We take advantage of the fact that we have something that he did not have, that the teacher didn't have. We point our souls towards that which can satisfy and repair the brokenness of this world. We respond to this word by looking to Jesus and pointing others to him. Point number three for today is we need to understand that real wisdom is applying what we experience while we're abiding with Christ. This is what we have to offer. The teacher has made it abundantly clear that our search for wisdom, for the sake of wisdom, is hevel. If we're just trying to learn all the things so we can know all the things, it's fleeting. It'll disappear like like when you're outside on a cold night and you see your breath in the air and as quick as it's there, it's gone again. Real wisdom comes not just through study and experience of the world, but through study of the Word and experience of walking with God. Wisdom is important, but I'm talking specifically about wisdom that is gained while walking with God. What God has spoken to... Excuse me, that's a question for next week. You can read that on your own. The world doesn't need more of itself, right? It needs Christ. It may not seem like it, but this is a prime opportunity for us to share what we know by experience with the world. As we're talking with people, we have hope to offer. I want to end today with a continuation of a passage that we ended with last week. And I'm at risk of sounding cliche here, but I think it's worth it. We are God's love in this broken world. We've talked about that a lot. 
And as we share this message, we need to make certain that we aren't sharing hollow advice. And let me explain what I mean by that. We've seen this passage that I'm about to read quoted on t-shirts, on coffee mugs, on memes, on bad pieces of art. It's all over the place. And nearly every time you see these words in a setting like that, it feels hollow. And it feels hollow because we know that there's no real experience behind it. The only way that it's ever going to come across any different than that is when you share it as, as though and as if you have walked and lived in it. Right? If we have walked in this passage, if we have learned to live this way, then our words are going to have weight that they could never have on their own. I don't want us, as we, as we talk about sharing this, I don't want us to be more noise that's out there in the Bible Belt of random scripture just all over social media. I'm not asking you to go grab this screenshot and put it on your Facebook page. Okay, I'm asking you to meditate on this. I'm asking you to let the Holy Spirit work this in your life right now, to live in it, to trust it, to let it change you. And then as that happens, share your story about it. Share it by telling people how you experience God's character through this passage. This will be a a great thing for you and your life group to discuss this week, okay? I want you to read this passage with me. This is out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for for the day is its own trouble. Look, I can promise you this. If we share the hope of Christ as the Holy Spirit leads it with authenticity, And from a place of experience, it's not going to fall on deaf ears. We're living in a time right now where people are just nervous. They're scared for their health. They're scared about their finances. They're scared if they're going to have enough toilet paper. Okay, And I know I'm making light of some of this, but here's the truth. If we can learn to walk in this, that we can learn to, to put our faith, not in how many rolls of toilet paper are in our cabinet, but in a God that created everything. If we can live in that and learn to trust Him, it's going to change who we are. You see, Solomon saw after he lived his entire life that no matter how much he earned, no matter how great his kingdom was, no matter how smart he was, is that it all was one day going to end. And so church, for us, as we go about our week this week, my prayer is that we would not put our trust in the things that we have in our homes right now 
but our trust would be in the God who created us, who loves us and created perfection for us. We screwed that up, but God made a way for us to go back into that kind of relationship, and He did that through His Son. And so my hope and my prayer for you and for me is that as we live in this truth this week, that God will use us through the power of the Holy Spirit to help someone else to understand how much God loves them, no matter how broken the world is. I love you guys. Have a great week.